0: WDBM East Lansing.
1: Welcome to Impact Exposure. Exposure Exposure is 88.9 The Impact's one-hour forum discussing relevant issues affecting the MSU community. And now,
2: tonight's Exposure.
1: You're listening to Impact Exposure tonight. Um, Our first guest is a few individuals from Spartan Smart Statements. If you guys want to go around and introduce yourself and the kind of work that you do?
3: Um. I'm. My name's Cody Taylor. I'm an accounting senior here on campus. Um, original member of Spartan Smart Statements, just here to get the word out.
4: I'm Katie Judson, and I'm a junior in international relations and economics, and I'm new to the group this year.
5: And I'm Brian Winters. I'm a financial expert, and I'm a health education consultant at Olin Health Center here on campus.
1: All right, and now you guys are here today to talk about financial literacy group that you guys have on campus, and so if anyone ever wants to call in to ask questions regarding finance, um, you can give us a call. The number is 432-3893, area code 517, again, if you want to get your pen and paper and write it down, it's 432-3893. Um, so do you guys want to talk a little bit about um, how your group works and what you're here for?
3: Well, um Currently the way our group functions is uh, our main purpose is to try and do um, financial literacy workshops. Um, we've been focusing on residence halls, contacting mentors to uh, go out and give presentations. Um, our main topics at the time are credit cards, budgeting and housing transitions. so
1: Now how long have you guys been around for?
3: And we started last fall semester.
1: And are you, know, you, are you one of the original members that have been here since the beginning?
3: Yeah, um, what happened is um, our faculty advisor over at um, the Center for Service Learning and Civic Engagement at Student Services um, was approached and um, kind of recognized the need. so he put the word out to students to see who would want to help um, improve financial literacy on campus, and uh, that's how I got hooked up with this program.
1: Now you talked about credit cards, what other problems do students struggle with financially that you see a lot?
3: in regards to credit cards? No, just
1: anything. I mean credit cards, student loans, what other issues are there?
3: I'd say the main issue overall is just understanding what you're dealing with. Um, you know most people know what a credit card is, but maybe not how to use it in a healthy, productive way and uh that's across the board for budgeting, uh, student loans that people have, and also, you know, if you move off campus, renting.
1: Mm-hmm. And now, Brian, you're from Olin Health Center. So mm-hmm. what kind of work do you do there in collaboration with this project?
5: Well, right now I'm helping to bring a little of my own expertise to help the uh, Spartan Smart Statements in whatever way I can, whether it be a training, evaluation, whatever it may be. In the hopefully not too distant future, Olin may be offering one-on-one student financial wellness counseling where students would come in and sit down, and if they have financial issues or concerns, they would be able to sit down with someone and uh, have a little bit of education and guidance uh, come their way through Olin. But that's uh, a possibility. It's in the works. It may or may not end up coming to fruition, but uh, we can hope.
1: Do other universities do those types of things?
5: Absolutely. Ohio State has a very robust program uh, where they do this exact sort of thing, Texas Tech, to name another, and it's done around the country. It's growing uh, more rapidly uh, than what it has previously been, but, uh, yeah, they do.
1: Now if, you, now, if we did get that program, um, what would you like to see happen? What types of programs, like, would you like to see in regards to counseling? What types of things would you see yourself working with?
5: Well, I'll tell you that what Spartan Smart Statements does now is fantastic. That's exactly what we need is the broad education of uh, of students around all these issues because people will leave the university and they won't understand what a credit score is and how it can affect whether they get a job or whether they have some place to live. It can affect all kinds of things they maybe never thought about or they don't know how health insurance works. Ideally, I would like to see exactly the work that is being done now continued and through Olin. It would be fantastic if we could offer uh, a program where people could come in and they don't know how their student loan works or they have too much debt and they need to know what to do to move in a positive direction. That's what we ideally want to offer is that helping hand when they need it.
1: So you have a program like Spartan Smart Statements where you um, gather people together for a forum and kind of help everyone as a group. Um, how to get through financial issues, but then you would also have um, something like an Olin Health Center financial counseling, is that more one-on-one type stuff?
5: Exactly, that's the hope and again nothing is uh, is set in stone or for sure even happening at this point, but it's a direction that Olin is looking to move in and if it does end up happening that's something that uh, exactly what we look at doing one-on-one counseling through Olin.
1: Now why do you think these types of programs are important for college students?
5: Well, it's huge, I think, uh, and you guys can speak to this. Uh, if you look at just what's going on now in the country, you see that 8 out of 10 Americans, their number one stressor, their number one concern is financial. And students who are just coming out of school, having the tools and the knowledge to navigate that system successfully from the beginning can make all the difference in the long run, whether they are successfully able to own homes or retire or all kinds of different uh Issues and you guys can speak a lot more to uh, the one on one stuff
3: well, I think um, one important issue that we 've always keep in mind is that uh, most of us in the program are business students, so you know on a daily basis we 're worried about financial things and dealing with money, if, whether you 're even a supply chain major still has finance classes so um, there 's a lot of people on campus not in the business college, obviously, and uh, financial issues maybe aren 't right on the um, the top of their mind all the time, but it's still very important
4: to everyone.
1: Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, Um. I
4: would agree with that. I am not in the business college. I am an international relations major, and I joined the group just for the overall broadening of my financial skills and just understanding the basic things and basic tools that were going to be helpful in the long run, and I think these are things that everyone should know that we present on, not just people who are in the finance or business-related area, and I, I think that our our program really helps with that, trying to bring people who don't know a lot about it um, to a level where everyone can understand it and it can be useful.
1: Right. And listeners, if you have any questions regarding finance, again, the phone number that you can call to ask our our specialists um, is four three two three eight nine three. again, four three two three eight nine three. Um Now, what other types of services do you provide?
3: Well, um, before we even met Brian, uh, something we really were looking to do was the one-on-one peer counseling. So um, that's definitely a future goal. Right now, um, I'll say again, all we do is presentations. But um, um, we're looking to do more structured presentations um, on our own, not just having people contact us and ask, but set something up um, on our own. And um, we're always looking to outreach with other campus groups, um, get involved with, uh, you know, fairs on campus that are relevant to our issues and so we can partner with those people.
1: Mm-hmm. And where are you located?
3: Um, you can find us in 27 Student Services. Uh, that's kind of our home base right now.
1: Okay. And where can people go for more information?
3: We have a website. at Spartan Smart Statements. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just smartstatements.msu.edu. All right. And
1: again, it's Spartan. Or smart statements at mm-hmm. MSU. Now, why? Now, Katie, you talked a little bit about why you got involved. Um, do any of the rest of you want to talk a little bit about why you decided to join this project?
5: Well, it's something I do for a living. It's mm-hmm. something I enjoy, and I think uh, they both enjoy it very much too. Uh, we may even, if we have time, it'd be great if we could talk about a couple of things that MSU students can do right now yeah. to make sure that they're ready to go when, uh, whether it be graduating or just moving forward. Um, Even credit cards, I don't know, did someone want to speak some about uh, about uh, what people need to do now?
3: Well, I would say um, main issues concerning students right now with credit cards is understanding their use. Um, I know a lot of people think credit cards are a bad thing, sometimes they have a stigma, but um, really a credit card is a very useful way, if used correctly, to build a credit score which uh, I think Brian said earlier, is very important when it comes to future employment. Um, Credit cards can be very helpful with large purchases, and uh, if anyone thinks they can just outright buy a car or a house, um, you're probably going to need a line of credit for something like that. So
5: building a credit history is very important. Um, And it's amazing. I don't want to uh in too much, but uh, I know MSU students, uh, some of them don't have credit cards, which can be dangerous in, in our experience.
3: Well, actually, uh, research on campus um, since 2000 has shown that actually the amount of students who don't have a credit card has uh, increased by about 50%, which, um, like I said, having a credit card can be a good thing, is a good thing, so um, people shouldn't be afraid of it.
1: Now, does it count when you have something like a debit card that has a credit line attached to it? Is that the same type of thing?
5: That's a good question. The debit card in itself doesn't tend to really build you credit. And the other thing that people tend to get a little concerned about or a misconception is that I have student loans. I have credit. Well, no, you have debt, which is Mm -hmm. fantastic. Great you have debt. But uh, you haven't been paying that debt off. You haven't proven that you are trustworthy and will make payments. So you're not really building credit all that much there. The best way to really build credit for a student is to get a good credit card, and to make your payments regularly and not to charge much on that card. Never ever putting more than about 20% of what you could put on that card. Say you have $1,000 you could charge on the card, never putting more than 20% of that actually on the card. So if you had a $1,000 limit, never putting more than $200 on that card and always paying it off either every month or almost paying it off every month, but making those monthly payments. It's huge.
1: What are some other things or the biggest mistakes that students do financially that you would like to see fixed?
5: Oh, what have you guys seen? I know uh, you've seen a lot with of moving off campus and everything else.
3: Well, um, I think people can easily dig themselves in a hole <clears throat> just by not planning ahead. Um, as far as a budget goes, um, you know, maybe someone signs a lease with very high payments that they think they can handle, and then uh, winter comes around and your heat bill is two three hundred dollars and now rent is you know you're really in a pinch so um i would say that's maybe the main problem is just knowing what you're getting yourself into if it's credit or budgeting or your loans um you really have to look look to the future
5: yeah loans are huge and then remembering you do have to pay that back and and the typical repayment period is 10 years so if you add up and you have twenty, thirty thousand dollars in loans, you can realistically be expecting to be paying three, four, maybe five hundred dollars a month when you graduate. That's a lot of money, especially if you're starting out in a field, say, it's social work or teaching, or a field where you just don't make as much to begin with. That can uh, really come back to get you. So being aware of what it really means when you're signing on that dotted line or e-signature and you're taking that big loan.
1: Now, before we start wrapping things up, are there any other tips that you'd like to suggest or other things you'd like to talk about?
5: i well, we can go on for hours, I'm sure, on different things. Uh, anything you want to add, uh, Katie?
4: I think overall, just um, from someone with not a big business or financial background, it's just when it comes to finances, stuff, planning ahead and kind of mapping out um, what you're prepared for and what you can do in the future, I think just making that plan and trying to stick to it is really important um, because a lot of times I feel like you get in trouble when you don't really think ahead of what is going on. So,
3: um, One thing I'd like to say specifically for our group, anyone out there who thinks maybe they um, could use some advice, um, you know, we our emphasis is students helping students so we hope for that to be not as intimidating. Um, I'm, I mean most college students I'm sure have not sat down with a financial advisor and probably wouldn't think about it, but it probably wouldn't do them uh, or probably would be good for them. So, um, to get help from a student in a non-threatening peer way um, just something to think about. So.
5: Yeah, but I would say final tips uh, for people. Uh, get a credit card because it's important to establish credit. Don't put more than 20% on it. Pay it off every month. And uh, make sure it's a fixed rate. Which I know some institutions around here, MSU Credit Union is an example, offer fixed rate, uh, fixed rate cards that have tend to have lower interest rates. Um, do that and uh, yeah, live within your means. If I had to say two quick things.
1: All right. And if you want to rattle off the website one more time, Cody.
5: That's
3: SmartStatements.MSU.EDU.
1: All right. Thank you very much for coming on.
3: Thank you. Thanks.
6: Thank you. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact.
0: At the football game, Jim shows the telltale signs of being wasted. He starts flexing for the camera. He refers to his muscles as gunboats. He screams, how's this for a halftime show? Jim streaks the field. It's easy to tell if you've had way too many to drive. But what if you've had just one too many to drive? Never underestimate just a few. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station.
2: For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week.
0: Sunday nights, check out Sit or Spin from 8 to 10 p.m., where you can voice your opinion on what new music we play here on the Impact. Only on Impact. Impact Primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432 3893. And now, back to Exposure.
1: You're listening to The Impact. Right here, I have Jessica with ASMSU Student Defenders to talk about the forum that will be held. Um, Wednesday, November twelfth, tomorrow at eight p.m. in room three twenty-eight in the Student Services Building. Now, Jessica, do you want to
2: talk a little bit about what will be happening tomorrow? Well, at our forum, we're very excited to present um, presentations from MSU Student Defenders as well as Legal Services. Both are which both are services that ASMSU provides, as well as the Assistant Ombudsman, Sandra Harley. Um, We're going to feature presentations from Residence Life as well as um, Student Affairs, Academic Assembly, um, Student Assembly, and the Judicial Affairs Office. So we're pretty excited to hear all about students' rights from the various uh, groups on campus.
1: Now what kind of presentations can people expect to see?
2: People can expect to see lots of different kind of presentations. Um, I know the ombudsman is planning on speaking about the history of students' rights at MSU because it has had a very interesting past here, Um, the evolution of uh, students' rights as well as possibly future expectations for where they're going to go um, in terms of legally, which is contained in the um, AFR, the Academic Freedom Report, for all of you who don't know, that is where all student rights are contained. Um, We're also excited to hear presentations um, about the judicial process for students that are going through it that can be disciplinary or academic. Um, For those of you interested, there are also legal services will be present. We'll talk about students' rights in terms of the services that they provide, and then student offenders, of course, Um, will be talking about how we help students that are going through the judicial process.
1: Now, can you talk, um, you just held up a document. Yes, ma'am. The Academic Freedom, right, you
2: said? The Academic Freedom Report. The report.
1: Yes. You want to talk a little bit about that? Where can people find a document like this?
2: Um, it is available online, first of all. So if you search MSU, you can find the Academic Freedom Report. There are also copies... Throughout the various offices in Student Services, Judicial Affairs Office have them. Um, we have them. Legal Services, I believe, also has them. So the, the physical document, you can find uh, various places on campus and then also look for it online.
1: Okay. And you also talked about the evolution of students' rights. Do you want to give us a few little anecdotes of things that have happened in the past?
2: Well... I'm actually not the person to ask about that. Um, and the ombudsman I have heard has wonderful, colorful stories. Um, my basic understanding is that the, the AFR came about in the 60s and 70s um, when war protests were going on, and students really felt that they should be represented also in the university. I know at that time the university... Um, could kick students out without any kind of hearing, without any kind of appeal process. And students really felt that it was time to develop a document that could um, give them those rights such that there was a a process that they could go through if any kind of these things happened. Oh, very interesting. Um,
1: Now what does AMSU student defenders do specifically?
2: Uh, our program is designed to help students that are going through the judicial, f- judicial process. And this can be, um, for example, if a student breaks a rule in a dorm, and then they deny, basically they deny that the char- the charges on whatever grounds, and then they come to us and say, can you help us? And basically we act as counsel in that we help them prepare the case Um, We help them make sure that their argument is sound, and then we can actually attend the hearing with them. We don't act as lawyers in that kind of capacity, but we do help students make sure that they are being represented and receiving due process. And this also can occur for academic cases. If a student, for example, wants to refute a grade or has been accused of cheating, we can also help them prepare their case. we also help them with the appeals process and just basically making sure that the student is aware of his or her rights and that due process is being followed by the university now what kind of training do you get to become a student defender um... this year we have i don't want to misspeak eight student defenders and the training that we provided from them um... we took old cases and of course for confidentiality reasons blacked out the names um... but gave the students a feel for what kind of cases were in the past. We made them write appeals letters. This year we also held a mock trial because there is a certain format that the judicial hearings go by and we were able to obtain that form um, and basically run through a trial with our student defenders. We also make sure that they are very well versed in the AFR and know exactly what their role will be in helping students. Very interesting.
1: So other things that I heard will be um, spoken about are questions answered at this forum, um, a few of which that you've covered already is, do you know how the MSU ju- judicial process works? Do you know what happens if you're accused of cheating? Do you have a grade that you want to refute? Uh, do you know if you can always see your academic transcript? What are your rights as an MSU student? What happens if you vo- violate a dorm rule? And do you want to be involved in representing students? Um, Do you want to answer any of those questions
2: from some of our listeners? Sure. Of course, a lot of these topics will be presented um, by the various groups, as I mentioned before, tomorrow at the forum. Um, Just in general, the judicial process can either, as I mentioned before, follow a disciplinary or academic track. And at that point... um, there there are there is the respondent and a complainant and this can come either in the form of a university versus a student or i don't want to say versus but a university having a complaint against a student or a student having a complaint against another student um at that point if let's say if it is a dorm violation for example um residence life and then the judicial affairs office would submit a formal um I believe, letter to the student telling them exactly what rule they violated that they can find in the AFR, and then they would be invited to uh, a brief meeting to first refute or accept the consequences. And of course, if they deny all along, then there is a hearing schedule that goes through a very official process. Um, once the hearing is scheduled, we would hope that the student would contact us at that point so that we may help them prepare their case. Um, at that time, the hearing is scheduled and at the actual hearing, um, it follows a very strict format and the students are the students and the complainant there is are allowed to make opening statements where they present their case and then there is a time of questions to you can bring witnesses, you can bring documents, things of that nature. There's about 10 minutes of question and answer and then there are closing statements. Um, Another thing that I did want to mention is that the student has the ability when deciding the hearing to either choose an administrative hearing in which there is just one administrator or a judicial board hearing, and judicial boards are made up of faculty members and students. And then of course it's up to the student to decide which they're more comfortable with. Um, and then once the hearing is concluded the student, the, either the administrator or the hearing board deliberates and then they issue, I think within a week to ten days, they issue the student a letter um, telling them the outcome and the punishment. I don't really want to say punishment, right. but the consequences. So, And then at that time, a student is given a certain amount of time to appeal if they don't like it or simply accept the board's ruling. Okay.
1: Now, what are some other anecdotes or things that many students don't know about their rights on campus that you could rattle off?
2: Something that we have noticed is that a lot of times administrators will refuse the student to see their academic transcript, and you can always see your academic transcript. Uh, that's very important um, so that you know exactly what is in your file. Um, if you are accused of cheating, it, you will go through a hearing, and that it's not just you cheated, you failed this, this class. Um, there's always an appeal process, which I don't think a lot of students know about. And then another thing is that our program exists, and that um, oftentimes students will not be made aware or we have not made a- them aware enough Well, that there is help that exists for them when they feel like their world is coming apart um, if any of these things have happened. Right. And where can we people go for more information? Um, people can call the student Defenders at 517 355 3866 extension 121 and we also have a page on the asmsu.msu.edu website that's um, under significant work at the moment and also contact the director Ken Charette or myself Jessica Wayne, Um, my email is wayne wayneje1 at msu.edu if you're interested and also if students want to be are interested in being student defenders next year, we encourage you to contact us or on a volunteer basis because we al- we can always use more help. Okay, and um, you were mentioning the
1: transcript. Um, now, when I think of transcript, I think of just our grades, which would be posted on student info. Is there more to a cr- tr- transcript
2: than just basically your grades? Well, for example, if a professor says that you have for example, violate a certain rule, or if you will have a note in on the grade in the file, um you're always allowed to see what the professor or the administrator has placed in that file, so that every student does have a file, okay. All right. Well, thank you again, Jessica,
1: for coming in. Again, for listeners that are just tuning in, I was talking with Jessica from ASMSU Student Defenders and Legal Services, and they will be having a forum on Wednesday, tomorrow, November 12th at 8 p.m. in room 328 in the Student Services Building. Thank you very much. Thank you.
6: You're listening to 88.9 The Impact.
2: For more variety than you'll hear
1: on any other station, listen to The Impact primetime, primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every
2: night of the week.
0: Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, The Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. primetime. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432
3: 3893 And now... Back to Exposure.
1: You are tuned to Impact Exposure. Here I am here with Justin and Uri from um, the LGBT community to talk about the Transgender Days of Remembrance, which is going to be held from November 11th to the 20th. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about the events coming up?
8: Sure. Um, Well, we have a great list of events that are happening on campus. Today, actually, at 7.30 in the Union Building, there is a discussion of past and present portrayals of trans people in color that are happening. And then Friday, we have a keynote speaker. Uh, She'll be speaking at 7 p.m. in Wonders Hall, Kiva. And her name is Sylvia Guarajo and she's an activist uh, for the trans community. We're flying her in from California, and she's the mother of a trans woman who was murdered in 2002. Her name is Guerrajo, and they made a Lifetime movie about her. Uh, called uh, A Girl Like Me, The Gwyneth Story. And then the following week, which is actually the week of the nationally recognized uh, Transgender Day of Remembrance, which is the 20th, um, we're showing a movie on the 19th um, called All About My Mother. And then on the 20th itself, we have a candlelight vigil in uh, remembrance of the Memorial Day, so.
1: Now, how did you guys uh, get involved in events like this?
8: Um, Well, we're with the Alliance of LGBT
6: Students and Transactions, so as LGBT student leaders, it's kind of our job to plan events. Um, This one Uri kind of took on and, I mean, he basically was looking for speakers and found her and went through all the work and just brought her here, so.
1: Yeah, I actually um, heard a little bit about um, Sylvia, will you pronounce the name for me? Guerrero. Guerrero. All right, I'll work on that. and the issues regarding her daughter Gwen. Um, And from my understanding, in, I believe, 2002, um, her daughter was 17. Um, Well, she was a male by birth, but then um, lived her life um, as a female um, and was murdered in 2002 when she was, I believe, 17 years old in California. Um, And there was a movie about her um and i read up on some of the history and it was just it was kind of you know sad to read about and but there's a lot that happened afterwards i mean to have a lifetime movie you know after what happened and there's things like the laramie project if you've heard about that mm-hmm. where it's um someone who was murdered for being gay i think in wyoming and there was a huge i guess uh, um a group of I guess actors got together and, and interviewed a bunch of people and put together this um, this play, and then I think it's also a film maybe um, about his story. Um, and so you have these things like, um, like Lifetime movies or plays regarding these issues, um, and I realized that the same year that Gwen was murdered, I think there was maybe 12 other mm-hmm. um, murders relating to um, that were started because the person was homosexual. Um, so it's 12 murders in one year, maybe there's more, but that's all that's documented. Um, so why do you think speakers coming in, or things like the Laramie Project happening, are important to get awareness out?
8: Mm, I think they're uh, very important, especially especially things like mainstream movies, and uh, another perfect example is the movie Boys Don't Cry, uh, mm-hmm. which is a movie about Brennan Tina, who was a trans man who was murdered. Um, and that was made famous because that was, I think, Hillary Swank won an award for that. Um, but it, it really does take mainstream media to show a very small minority population to a majority population and a minority that does get uh, victimized um, in very brutal acts of hate. Um, and to bring that to people's attention, because 12 murders a year in a large country may not seem like a lot, but it, it is a lot more than that. Um, every year, uh, there's a list, they put out a list of names of the people who have been killed that year for the Remembrance Day. And, um, just up to this date this year, I think it's about 15 names right now as it stands. Um, so, and that's, we still have two months left in the year. So.
1: Wow.
6: Yeah. Hate crimes are a real problem against, um, gay people and especially transgender people, um, as far as the portion of those populations that are affected um, by hate crimes, it's a huge problem that people don't really notice much about. Michigan doesn't even have hate crimes laws that protect sexual orientation or gender identity or expression. Um, So it really is important to remember people who are killed by these hate crimes. It's great that they get um, movies and stuff, but that's only because we need to raise awareness and start protecting people and make people know that it's unacceptable to do stuff like this
1: right, and also um going back to uh Gwen's story, um I think maybe a few years after um her death there was in sacramento um i guess what happened was there was a um there was a, will you pronounce her name again? Gwen Arajo. Yeah. Oh, yes, Gwen Arajo's Justice for Victims Act, um, which basically um, helps protect people from being blamed from their own murder. Because in her case, um, some people were saying, "Well, it's her own fault that they murdered her because she was transgendered." Mm-hmm. You know, it's and so this was something to protect people um, saying that no, it isn't their fault. Um, and I actually watched a bit of the Lifetime movie, I will admit. <laughs> and in it they were talking about it because um Gwen's mom wrote an article to um I forget uh the San Francisco Chronicle. Um in the be- in the first uh, a little paragraph that she wrote. It says, I'm not sure how I expected to feel at this point. When my daughter Gwen, a transgender teenager, was brutally murdered on October 4, 2002, I was sure that I would never feel whole again. Looking back, I didn't yet know what exactly transgender meant or how to fully embrace my child's identity, but I knew one thing. I wanted justice for my child. And so sometimes I think people don't understand what transgender means. And -hmm. in the video, the little clip that I did watch, they were talking about how Um, it's not, transgender isn't necessarily being, um, gay. It's about, they said, I think they described it as, when you're born, um, all fetuses fetuses are female, um, but the brain develops neutral. Um, and through the process of just development, um, in transsexualism, um, masculization of the brain fails to take place. and so it's they're not necessarily homosexual, they just don't have that male, I guess... Um, they have male genitalia, but a female brain, at least in Gwen's case. Um, so do you guys want to talk a little bit about what being transgender means that people may not understand?
8: Sure. Um, so being transgender is... Um, and gender identity and sexual orientation are two separate things, like you were saying. Um, so there's, there's no cause and effect. You can be transgender and straight or gay or bisexual or um, any combination of uh, identities. They don't um, cause or affect either of them. But um, gender identity and expression are basically, gender identity is your internal sense of self and um, your internal sense of whether you're female or male or you fall someplace else along the spectrum of gender. Um, because we do typically think of gender as a binary system and it really isn't a binary system. Um, And then gender expression is how you outwardly manifest that so that other people can see it. And so, and transgender is actually now an umbrella term um, that covers multiple different identities. Um, It covers uh, like transgender, which is a general term now being used for uh, transsexualism, which is generally uh, people who decide to make a physical change to make their outward body match their interior. Um, and then it also covers intersex, um, which are people who are born either with ambiguous genitalia or uh, a chromosomal difference from just XX or XY. Um, and also an t- identity called two-spirit, which is a Native American identity. Um, and so that that's kind of like what transgender means.
1: No, I've read a little bit about two-spirit. Do you want to elaborate more on that? If you um, can.
8: I, as not being a member of the Native American population, I really don't know that much about it or feel that comfortable okay. speaking on that identity. Okay. I'm sorry. That's
1: fine. Um, now, I remember being in my journalism class last year, and we talk about you know, current events that came up. And there's two things that I remember s- talking about, um, one of which was, I believe, an elementary school kid um, decide, I think he was a born male but he wanted um, his life to be as if he was a female and because of this they actually installed a unisex bathroom in the school, and this is an elementary school so that he could feel like he belongs or wouldn't have to go through it every day, okay, what bathroom should I go in, you know mm-hmm. and um, another thing was um, <clears throat> someone that was transgender that I think had um Gone through the process of um i don 't know exactly how it happened, but someone who was born male um went through the process i don 't i don 't know what happens but um became female and actually became pregnant i don 't know if you ever heard about that, but that happened last year, which I thought was kind of crazy
8: I think are you referring to the man who was on oprah maybe okay, he was born female. Female. And became male.
1: Became male, and then yes. became pregnant as a male. Then
8: yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Um. Yeah. Um. You you touched on a really important subject, which is the the need for uh, unisex bathrooms uh, mm-hmm. for the trans community. Um, bathrooms are a uh, a place where most people take in like just take for granted their safety and their comfort level, especially in a very private situation. Um. And for trans people, it's often a place of fear, bathrooms, and um, of discomfort, and also a place where a lot of harassment and violence takes place. Um, And so unisex bathrooms are a really, really important piece to that. Um, So. Okay.
1: I also found it interesting, though, that um, that was happening as early as elementary school. Do you think that issues like this are coming up earlier in people's lives? I mean, because when you think back, like, you know, years ago, it was taboo, and, but when you would see people coming out and being honest with their sexual identity, um, they would be older, and I feel like now, I guess, uh, the more years go on, the earlier people are deciding to come out. Do you find that true?
8: I think that doesn't necessarily reflect the identities as Mm -hmm. much as it reflects the level of education that's happening in society, and um, the fact that it really does take like, no matter what your sense of self is, it takes being able to see it and understand it and label yourself to be able to say to people, this is what I am. Um, Because without that label, what do you tell people? Um, So, now that there is more education and there are, schools are starting to have gay-straight alliances, and they're starting to be a level of knowledge especially with the internet uh for younger and younger children um i don't think that it's that more children are just happening to be lgbt but that more people have the ability to come out at a younger age which right. i think is great because i think the people people tend to come out when they feel that they have the the comfort level and the safety to come out and so that people feel comfortable coming out at a younger age means that there is that safety and comfort level there for them so
1: and you were talking about education. Something that I found interesting when I was in my um, teacher education class this summer is I watched a video. Um, and before we watched it, my teacher said, "What age do you think it's appropriate to bring up these issues of people who, you know, are lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgendered in schools?" And I was like, "Well, maybe beginning of high school." I'm thinking. And we watched this video, and kids were introduced to these ideas as early as kindergarten and they found that they would just introduce them in conversations like you know what how would you describe someone who's gay lesbian bisexual transgendered and and some kids would be like well i don't know my mom thinks it's gross so the other person would be like they're just normal people and then just through discussion without the teacher saying this is right or this is wrong kids would discuss um, and form their own opinion, and just kind of come to a better understanding of what it means rather than having just stereotypes, because I think sometimes you get stereotypes because maybe you're uneducated on certain things, and so um, the into the later grades when when topics like LGBT were introduced in the later grades, people had a stronger sense i guess of stereotype, and um were harder to have like a a discussion about those issues. And so I think in one eighth grade class they had um, people come in that were homosexual and, and the kids just asked them questions. And through that type of discussion, they had a better understanding and kind of got rid of a lot of the stereotypes. So I thought it was interesting that they would integrate that into schools as early as even kindergarten. Do you think that that's a good thing that would happen? Or how do you guys feel about that?
6: It, it really depends on um, the society that is being brought up. And a lot of parents are uncomfortable with their children being taught about LGBT people. What we do know is that LGBT people, that's lesbian, bisexual, gay and transgender people, have existed throughout history, Um, but our society is currently kind of unwelcoming towards them. Um, I think the earlier you can bring it up and make the school a safe place for those types of people um, is really beneficial for the children in the school that happen to be LGBT. Spares them a lot of emotional damage. Um, so it just really depends on how tolerant the society can be that it can provide people like that, um, that kind of service.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, you guys are also having a rally on Saturday. Do you want to talk more about that?
6: I'm um, sure. Um, this election, um, as a lot of people know, um, Proposition 8 in California banned gay marriage, um, which is the first time marriage rights have actually been taken away from people. Um, so a lot of people are upset about that, and there's been calls for nationwide protests on November 15th. Um, the alliances decided to answer that call, and we are having a rally at The Rock on Saturday at 7 p.m. So,
1: Very interesting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I also read that on Sunday in Lansing, there was um, a quote-unquote gay anarchist group um, that went to a church and were... I guess, protesting, like setting the uh, the fire alarm and started throwing things in the ground. Do you know anything about that?
6: Yeah, we do. We've issued a statement strongly condemning that Mm -hmm. um, for really a lot of reasons. Um, It's unacceptable. It's not good for the LGBT movement, but beyond that, it's disrespectful to the congregation. It puts people at serious physical danger, um, and it's illegal. So. Alliance, that's the group I'm involved with, as the programming director, does not condone that kind of activism, and that's not the kind of activism um, we partake in. Um, We want to work through the judicial system, or judicial and legislative systems, um, to get laws put in place um, to protect LGBT people, um, and that's what we're going to be focusing on at our rally.
1: Okay. Now, what's the difference, You, you guys are involved in an alliance of LGBT students. Is that the same thing as, like, the residential hall groups like Pride or PRISM and stuff like that, or is there a difference?
8: Um, on campus, we have uh, residential hall groups in every complex, so North, South, East, and West, and Brody. Um, those groups are under the control of the resident hall system, okay. um, whereas the Alliance of LGBT Students is a uh, COPS group, which means it sits on the Council of Progressive Students And um, so it doesn't fall under the same um, category. So while they do uh, social programming within their halls, we do campus-wide programming.
1: Okay. Now what other events have you done in the past that have been really successful, do you think?
8: This year we had a panel in the beginning of the year. It was a panel of um, leaders from across the state of Michigan to come and talk about the LGBT movement in Michigan and where they saw it going and what was happening in it right now.
6: Um, Michigan banned gay marriage in 2004, and this summer it came back with, the Supreme Court came back with a ruling um, saying public institutions couldn't offer domestic partnership benefits. Um, So we wanted to take a step back and um, see where the movement was going to go from then. Um, So we had nine panelists, two state senators, um, or state legislators, Mark Meadows and Lawrence Wenke, and representatives from um, the ACLU, um, Michigan Equality. I wish I could name them
8: all off my head. Um, Lansing area, human rights.
6: Yeah, um, an MSU professor, two students, um, the director of the LBGT Resource Center. Um, And it was a really informative um, discussion, and we got a lot of work done, a lot of stuff to think about.
1: OK. Now, you were talking about Prop 8 in California, I thought that that was going to be a state that was going to be for gay marriage, and then to see something like them banning it again, um, almost shocked me. Um, but do you think that people will become more accepting in years to come regarding LGBT rights?
6: Hopefully. Uh, (laughs) Um, we can always help, and we, that's what we're working for, um, that's why we do activism, um, it's it's hard to tell. You can take a state like Arizona that had gay marriage on the um, ballot in 2004 and failed it, and then they had it again in 2008 and they decided to ban gay marriage, whereas before they decided not to. Um, so you never really know what's gonna happen. That's why you have to keep working. Um, so states like Connecticut um, this election have decided not to ban gay marriage, so that's great. Um, We just have to work and make sure it stays that way. Mm
8: -hmm. And I think you you do see, while the marriage issue seems to be, like, the most prevalent and the one that everyone focuses on, partially because it's the most controversial, um, there does seem to be a a general acceptance level growing for um, anti-discrimination policies and anti-harassment policies and work protection and really vital things to the LGBT community um, that, like, protect us within the workplace, within our households.
6: HIV, AIDS, education. Yeah.
8: So there are other places that the movement really needs to go and really needs to um, grow. And I think that there is, I think th- that there will be support for that. Okay. So.
1: And do you want to list off the um, events that are happening in this next week or so, regard, um, through, with the Transgender Days sure. of Remembrance?
8: And do that again? Um, Well, it's a little bit too late for tonight. So uh, this Friday, we have Sylvia Guerrero speaking at 7 p.m. in the Wonders Hall, Kiva. Wednesday, November 19th, we are showing the film All About My Mother at 7 p.m. in B-15 West McDonald Hall. And Thursday, November 20th, we're having a candlelight vigil, which will meet at 7 p.m. in the Union Building lobby on campus.
1: And how can people get involved um, either with Alliance of LGBT, LGBT Students or through, like, the residence halls? Where can people go for more information, or how can people get involved?
8: If anyone would like more information in general on the LGBT uh, resources that are on campus, they can go to the website r- L- edu, which is the LGBT Resource Center on campus. Okay. And it has links to all the different groups that are on campus.
6: And then Alliance's email address is alliance, A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E, at msu.edu. And we have a listserv where we send out all our events over that. So um, that's a really good place to get on um, if you want to know what our future events are. Okay.
1: Well, thank you very much for coming in.
8: Thank you for having us.
6: Thank you. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9 The Impact.
2: Smoking helpline.
6: Yes, I need to start smoking right away.
2: Excuse me?
0: I need to start smoking.
2: Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking Helpline.
0: The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it.
2: I think you
9: want mysmokefreeapartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free
2: apartment building. A
0: smoke-free building? Without all that?
2: smoking uh, yeah that's right make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink my
0: when you get up in the morning and turn on the radio you don't want to hear those other guys talking on your way to work do you you don't want to hear talking you want to hear music so here at the impact we are making you a promise we're calling it the more music mornings 89 second wedding
1: to Impact Exposure. Here I'm with Tamison from the Career Services and um, Sandy from the Undergraduate University Division to talk about Marathon of Majors and what's Career Assessment Day. Day. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Do you guys want to talk a little bit about um, the events that are coming up?
7: Certainly, since the Marathon of Majors is coming up this week, um, is there anything in particular you'd like to know or... Just, give Just us talk an about overview
1: it. of what people can expect.
7: Okay, well, the Marathon of Majors, what we've done, we sponsor and we organize uh, this event. It's held over in Bessie. Uh, it's going to be this Thursday, the 13th, from five to seven, over in the Bessie Classroom Wing, the main floor. And what we do is we invite all the colleges and the uh, and other academic specialists to uh, provide information, to be there to answer questions to uh, help students find out what a major requirement might be, uh, minors, internships, all kinds of information like that.
9: And we actually got Career Assessment Day together uh, to follow Marathon of Majors, so it's Friday the 14th Uh, from nine to four in 113 student services building and the reason we got this together uh, was to complement marathon of majors so that students who were inspired by what they saw at marathon of majors would have an opportunity to come and um, access career advisors so uh, when they come in it's a drop-in first come first serve at any time between nine and four and they get to spend 15 minutes or so with an advisor just figuring out what's the next best step to figure out what they want to do so maybe it's a career assessment maybe it's a way to find out about their interests or their personality or their values or their skills. Maybe they need to do some research, maybe do an informational interview or a job shadow. Uh, And we can just help them talk about that and think about that and and then find those resources that they need.
1: Now, I remember in high school and middle school filling out these personality um, tests, and, like, they'd be really really long, lots of questions, and then it would tell you at the very end what kind of job you're best suited for, what career pathway. Do you have things like that that you give students? We do. We
9: actually, the kind of the primary one that we use is called the Strong Interest Inventory, and it's not going to tell you what the best job is, because no test can really tell you that. No assessment can tell you that. Um, But it is going to show you kind of a framework for your interests so that you can start to say, oh, I like to help people. So what kind of jobs are associated with that? And I want to go explore that. Or I really like being in business, but I'm also very structured and organized. So what is that going to mean for me in terms of the world of work and what I go look at? So we can help the students um, kind of reflect back to them who they are so that they can understand that they have words to talk about that with an advisor like Sandy or with their parents or with their friends. Um, but they, just, they have that reflection tool. It, like I said, it isn't going to show them the perfect job. It isn't going to pigeonhole them or force them into a suit and a tie or something like that. It's just going to help them reflect on who they are and then how they can use that for the next step.
1: Oh, very good, so they can go to a um, marathon of majors, figure out what best suits me for right now, what kind of education do I need. Then they can come to you for um, the career assessment day, then figure out what can I do with this major to get a certain job and go farther <laughs> um, but also um, regarding marathon of majors it's not is it not necessarily trying to find a major but also what kind of options are within your own major that you currently
7: have mm-hmm. and it's and it 's also Part of why the Marathon of Majors was sponsored and organized by the Undergraduate University Division was that, well, it began about 15 years ago, actually. And part of why they organized it was they discovered that, you know, many students, even if they had declared a major, weren't really sure if that was the major for them. They were very uncertain about their choice of major, or they weren't sure what they were going to do. So part of the reason we organized the Marathon of Majors, or the Undergraduate University Division organized the Marathon of Majors, was to help students or provide them with an opportunity, where they can maybe find more information about careers that are offered, you know, that are available, you know, to graduates of that major, or to find out about internships, maybe how to enhance uh, a major with an additional major or a minor or a specialization, Um, so that's what we we shoot for when we have this marathon. And we have, as I said before, not just advisors from all the different departments that are offered, you know, that are on campus, but also uh, part of that enhancement is we have academic specialists from like the Learning Resource Center, we have um, military organizations who are represented, we have the Honors College there, we have um, service learning there which is you know another way to to develop skills and things that can help you um, pursue something Mm -hmm. post-graduation or identify areas that you might want to develop
1: right Um, now you mentioned minors Mm -hmm. I I would thought that MSU didn't provide minors but do
7: they now? they're beginning to now they're not a a large number and many Mm -hmm. of the minors are, are strictly for teachers education But uh, there are minors that have been opened in philosophy. Um, I believe that Spanish has a minor now. Many of the languages, you know, have minors. And as time goes along, we're anticipating that there will be more. So um, I wish I had the URL that I could tell you where to look for it. But Mm -hmm. the academic programs book online, if you look, if you type in search for minors, you know, you can come up with that. And if you have any questions about minors, you can always come to one of the UUD offices, mm-hmm. and we can help you locate some information. And
1: where are the UUD office located?
7: There's four different offices. We try to make it very accessible for students. So we have the the central campus, which is in Bessie, 170 Bessie. There is the South Complex, which is S33 Wonders, and then uh, Acres. Um, I don't know what area that is. That's uh East. <laughs> East Complex, mm-hmm. that's uh 229, and then there is Brody Complex, which uh the main office there is 109, Brody. Okay. So, it, they take walk-ins, and if uh they want to guarantee a spot, they can make appointments too. Okay. And
1: now do you want to talk a little bit more about uh career services and and things that people can learn by coming in and mm-hmm.
9: We actually are a pretty unique uh, setup uh, across, actually, the United States in terms of how our department is structured. Uh, We have a distributed model. So some universities have a centralized model where if you're an engineering major, you just go see someone about engineering, or they have a model where no matter what you are, you go see the same person. We actually have three hubs. So we have my hub, which is in student services building, and that's really early stage. So we help freshmen, sophomores, even seniors sometimes, who say, Mm -hmm. I don't really know what I want to do, or I don't know what I want to do with this major, um, or what exact career path I want to take. So we help them discover that. Um, We have Internships at State, which is a new program to really focus on uh, finding internships here at Michigan State and using some of the amazing um, professors and things that they do here to develop internships. And all that happens in our hub. We have a hub in the Stadium Center, where the on-campus interviewing happens and our event planning comes out of. And then the Lear Center, which is focused on careers and businesses um, for all majors, and they also do some on-campus interviewing there. But then we have Field Career Consultants, and they are actually uh, situated in their colleges. So there's uh, a Field Career Consultant in the College of Ag and Natural Science, Arts and Letters, Communications, Arts and Sciences, James Madison, Natural Science and social science as well as we have kind of a mini hub and a field career consultant in engineering. They're the experts in their field so they help students find internships, put together a killer resume, find that job. They really know the employers in their field so in that regard we've got a very unique model. We're here to help students from the minute they walk in the door as freshmen all the way to when they're ready to graduate and we do everything. Resumes, interviewing, um, internships, uh, just anything that has to do with getting a job, having a job, finding a career, kind of planning that, everything,
1: grad school, everything. Oh, wow. Um, so we have hit the 8 o'clock hour, unfortunately. But before we finish, <laughs> is there anything that you'd like to add? or And then also um, say again when your events will be and um, where people can go for more information.
7: The, the marathon, we actually hold it every fall and spring, every fall in November, every spring in March. And as i said this uh this fall semester it's going to be November thirteenth on Thursday from five to seven over in Bessie. Um, the one thing I'd like to say is it's really a good thing for the students because they don't have to run all over campus if they want information. This right. is a time where they where a student can come to. To one spot, one stop shopping, I guess you could say, and speak to any number of advisors you know maybe you won't have a full half hour, but it's an opportunity to get some handouts to talk to an advisor and at least get an idea if there's prereqs for admission or you know any information like that.
9: great, and we follow up so there are Thursdays were the Friday that follows, so again, this week it'll be Friday the fourteenth from nine to four in one thirteen student services. You don't have to go to Marathon of Majors to come to Career Assessment Day. Any student that's unsure about a major, a career path, what do I do with this major, what are my options, anyone is welcome to drop in and meet with a career advisor. Uh, And they can get more information on our website, which is careernetwork.msu.edu. Or, of course, register, sign up for My Spartan Career, which is our fabulous one-stop place to find out about anything careers related to MSU.
7: And you know what? I forgot to give a phone number too. You could stop at any UUD office, you know that I mentioned before. You know, Acres, Wonders, Brody, or Bessie, or you can call you can call the main office. You know, you can call Bessie three five five thirty five fifteen if you you know, and and we can at least refer you to one of the offices that are close to the student.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Tamison and Sandy, for coming in. You turn to Impact Exposure. Thank you.
2: Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.